as you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you. And this morning's passage can be found on page 241. Also will be on the screen. Um, and honestly, I overcome with emotion. Trenton, thank you for just <laughs> wonderfully welcoming us into the gospel and just this idea. Uh, I think I talked with my wife last night, 18 years, Father's Day for me. So um, that plus um, the idea of being a child of God. I mean, you simply can't improve upon that good news um, that we have a God that welcomes us into his family to experience his nearness and his kindness. And what we're going to talk about this morning is going to help us, I hopefully, um, do that not just on an individual level, but how do we do that together um, as a church family. Um, I want to begin with uh, what I would consider one of the most underrated characters in movie history, and that would be uh, Wilson from the 2000 movie Castaway. So, all right, so um, if you haven't seen Castaway by now, it, it was from the year 2000, so I'm going to totally ruin the plot for you right now. Um, I, I love this movie for a couple of reasons. I, I looked back, I had thought for sure that Tom Hanks would have won an Oscar for this uh, portrayal. Um, basically, the storyline is he crash lands on a FedEx plane into the middle of the ocean, and he's on a deserted island, and for about 90 minutes, it's just him and this volleyball that he calls Wilson, and it's just a brilliant, I think, um, brilliant writing so that Tom Hanks can actually have someone to talk to and um, kind of live out the struggles of being on this deserted desert island, but there's uh, a real kinship that develops between Tom Hanks's character and the volleyball, and so this is the iconic scene um, after they're leaving the island where he and Wilson are escaping and Wilson has fallen off the raft. So um, for four years, um, Wilson was Tom Hanks's only friend. And I remember both being, I mean, if you, if you watch the whole movie, I mean, I remember that scene kind of being the, the climax, like where um, he's separated from the only friend that he's known for four years. And at first I, I was affected because I was like, bro, that's just a volleyball, you know, I mean, like get over it. And then the other side of me is like, that's absolutely right. You know, because um, if that teaches us anything, it's the idea that intrinsic to being a human being is the idea that we're made for relationship, right? Even in that scenario, um, I mean, he's going to create someone because we're made to share our lives 
um, and our experiences. And so what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at the friendship between David and Jonathan is the idea of spiritual friendship. It's something that we are created and designed by God to all experience together. How can we um, relate together as God has designed us to be? Um, Leadership guru Charlie Tremendous Jones, and he is tremendous, says this. He says, you will be the same person in five years as you are today, except for the people that you meet and the books that you read. So what's tremendous about that is is the reality that that we kind of will always go about our own paths, we'll always kind of seek our own ways, but you can multiply that quote by a thousand in the reality that God has provided um, spiritual friendship. So during the Pathway series, many of us wrote our own spiritual biographies. And, and, and not only did those things have highs and lows in them, but as I looked at my own story, some of my greatest leaps forward were when I was introduced to someone new in my spiritual network, and they helped me to see and to experience God in a different way. And so hopefully, um, as we look at the story of David and Jonathan, um, it will compel us maybe to look a little bit deeper at our relationships that we are created for, um, and also that it would uh, motivate us to see the friend of sinners even more clearly who is Jesus Christ that this story points towards. And to begin, we're going to begin reading 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles open and you are able, would you stand with me as we read 1 Samuel chapter 18 verses 1 through 9. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, it would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and in the, also in the sight of Saul's servants. Verse 6. As they were returning home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with the musical instruments. And the woman, the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I pray that right now you would help us by being present to open the eyes of our hearts to see beautiful things out of your word. 
Father, we realize that just merely gathering here um, doesn't change us. We need you to actually perform heart surgery on us to help us to believe true things about you and true things about ourselves and true things about the relationships that you've given to us as a gift. So I pray that this morning you would do all of those things and more for the sake of Jesus, your son, that you would strengthen the relationships in this room, um, that they would build a strong foundation both for now um, and also for the generation to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the book of 1 Samuel is uh, a little bit of theological history. Um, It is history from God's perspective. It's the story of God's people, right, that live under God's rule. And when God's people follow him closely and they listen and they pay attention, they flourish. Um, And when they drift away, things get a little bit complicated. Um, And so this story is in the Bible to help us to realize that God's kingdom purposes advance through the reality of spiritual friendship, right? God's kingdom goes forward not just merely through individuals, but it goes through um, relationships that exist that are a gift from God that help to advance His kingdom purposes. And what we see in this story is a comparison between two members of the royal family and how they respond to David. First of all, you you saw King Saul who was responding to the ancient form that was a little bit like Twitter where the the women were singing a different song where they were saying, hey, uh, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands and King Saul grows jealous of David. Then on the flip side, Jonathan, who is the rightful heir, at least logically, to the throne of Israel, his heart and soul is knit to David. He recognizes God's calling and his purpose on David's life, and he loves him, it says in the text, as he loves his own soul. And so what we're going to look at this morning is that that God has designed all of us for this reality of spiritual friendship that we are meant to relate to one another on a deep spiritual level, that all of us are designed to flourish within the realm of spiritual friendship, and that, that God actually has more for us probably than we can imagine. And there may be no more neglected topic for us living in the middle of uh, an individualistic society such as the United States of America where we just want to make our own way and do our own thing. But what God wants us to know is that who he has designed us to be necessitates the reality of being cared for and being loved and being strengthened through the reality of spiritual friendship. Which brings me to my first point, um, spiritual friendship connects to the deepest part of who we are. Look at verses 1 through 3. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as he loved his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. So these verses are all about a deep spiritual connection. It says that the soul of Jonathan, he recognized what God was doing in David's life. 
He recognized God's hand on him and his soul was knit to him. Right? This is God giving David as he's trying to live out this, his identity and his calling as a future king. He brings along the gift of Jonathan to strengthen him. And Jonathan loved him as he loved his own soul. And I think for us, especially growing up like in the Bible Belt, it's important to realize that this kind of connection is deeper than just a season of life, right? It's deeper than where you went to high school or where you grew up. That this level of connection doesn't just happen because you attend a spiritual meeting, right? You can go to a Bible study and not have a soul-level connection. You can go to a gospel community and not be strengthened and loved by another person. This kind of connection is a gift from God And from my experience in my own life and kind of being around church world, this experience, unfortunately, for the people of God is rare, right? Someone that sees you as you are, someone that loves you as you are, someone that sees not only who you are, but who God has called you to be. When you are able to link arms with someone like that, right, I mean, you're faith level soars when you are in the valley of the shadow of death you are strengthened right and God's design is for every person in the room that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ to have this kind of soul relationships um and what we're talking about it's not just it's not just a general kind of friendship. It, it, it applies to friends, but this kind of spiritual friendship should exist inside of marriages, right? It should be between husbands and wives, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. This whole topic, right, about identifying with the deepest part of who we are is what we are made for. It is a mutual giving and receiving. And this kind of love requires a certain level of vulnerability, right? To love is the most vulnerable thing in the universe. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal, Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries, and that's a commentary on our Western culture. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. So there is this reality that to have deep level soul relationships, we must open up our hearts to the reality that we need other people. That this is actually the way that God has designed us to live life. But not only that, the the only way that this level of soul life-giving relationships can take place is through the reality and the lens of all that God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ. Which brings me to my second point. Spiritual friendship is based on and reflects the covenant faithfulness of God himself. 
Spiritual friendship has to have a context and a framework. And Jonathan powerfully illustrates this to David in verses 3 and 4. Look at it with me. Verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So there's a a couple of things that we need to realize here. That Jonathan, as the oldest son of Saul, would be the expected heir of the kingdom. And in this scene, basically what happens is unimaginable. We have what would most naturally be a, a political rival and a political enemy. Jonathan takes off his robe. He takes off his armor. He takes off his sword. And he, he says to David, I'm making a covenant with you. This is both a picture And it's rooted in the faithfulness of God. And he's saying, basically, I want my place to be your place. I want my inheritance to be your inheritance. I recognize that God's hand is upon you. I recognize that what's naturally mine belongs to you. So I'm going to empty myself of all of these things. I'm going to empty myself of position. I'm going to empty myself of power and recognition and dignity. And I'm going to give it to you because God has called me to do that. This is a picture of the covenant faithfulness of God, right? And it should remind us of another king who emptied himself and came into the world not as a conquering king, but as a little baby who took on the form of a servant, who emptied himself of power and privilege and rank and robed his own people with his own righteousness. This picture is a picture of God's covenant faithfulness to David. God is bringing along and providing someone to give him strength and dignity and to remind him that God is with him and God is for him. And listen, this is the essence of what it means to have a spiritual friendship. That you have someone that reminds you of the covenant faithfulness of God. That your relationship is governed not by what you do for God, but what he has done for you, right? And and there's a huge difference in the two, right? I mean, if you have ever, I mean, if you've been in relationship, and I'll just use accountability groups. That's a buzzword in Christianity. If you are in a discipleship kind of relationship, and the emphasis is on your faithfulness to God, right? How much you have accomplished for Him, right? I mean, does that give you strength or take strength away from you? It leaves us empty and dry, right? But when, when you have someone that reminds you, of who God is and what he's done and his faithfulness. It gives you life and courage. And what it actually makes you want to do is to be faithful and to live in light of what God has already done for us. And that's the point and that's the reason that this story is in the Bible. Now, I came across this blog post this week and um, it's from Scott Souls, who, uh, in the words of my children, is my spirit animal. Um, <laughs> Scott Souls is a pastor in Nashville, and he is absolutely familiar with the human condition, his own weakness um, as a pastor. Um, But even more than being preoccupied with his weakness, 
He's preoccupied with God's strength. And he's talking about a culture of benediction that he's building into um, his church and his pastoral team. Uh, We practice a benediction here, and a benediction is the last word that's spoken over a people. And I want to share a little bit of that blog post with you because I think it's the essence of what spiritual friendship is meant to be. He says, Monday mornings at the church I serve, we begin our staff meetings by speaking life-giving words over each other. We call them benedictions. The purpose is to offer public encouragement, appreciation, and blessing. As expressions of God's relentless pursuit in each other's lives, we want to convey, I see you, I see God working in, around, and through you. I want you to know that you matter and that you are important here, that we are much better because you are part of us, and we try to get very specific. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Angie and Suzanne, you are great at showing leadership for us all. Bob, you bring the best out of everyone else around you. Cammie, you are connecting our community to the poor, the marginalized. And Scott, you kept your sermon under 30 minutes and we knew you could do it, right? So, um, and he says, he goes on to say, these benedictions extend far beyond staff meetings and worship gatherings. He said, one time, personally, I was feeling like a failure because of a criticism that I had received, and the hardest thing about this criticism, that every bit of it was true. When I shared my discouragement with a friend, he responded by saying how proud he was of me, how he looked up to me as a leader, and how he sees God's hand upon me. It's wonderful to receive such encouragement, especially when you know deep down that you don't deserve it. That's what spiritual friendship is, right? Encouragement that is rooted in the faithfulness of God. He goes on to say, As my friends and my wife have preached the gospel in these and other ways to me, it's increased my courage to come out of hiding and to renounce my inner chameleon. Instead, I am free to lean towards the ways of Jonah, Paul, and David and consider how I might see my story of rupture and rapture of sin and redemption as a means to help others see that if God's grace can reach me, it can reach anyone. Right. So what we're learning as we look at the story of David is that, that people learn more from our failures than they do our successes. But if we're going to be a culture that's vulnerable and transparent, shares both our strengths and our weaknesses... It must be governed by the covenant faithfulness of God, right? Because if it's a context where you expose your heart and this is what happened and this is where I failed and someone gives you the law or tells you to do more or try harder, that's a form of spiritual abuse. What people need to hear is the benediction, the last word, and the last word over God's people is, it is finished, Right? That was Jesus' last words on the cross. It is finished. So it should be the last word for all of our friendship. And listen, over the last couple of days, I'm so grateful for both of these men. I've had to have them speak God's benediction over me and remind me that this is not about me and my own spiritual performance. We all need people to come alongside and remind us of His faithfulness. So, 
This is about God's covenant faithfulness. This is a picture of his faithfulness, not ours. Next lesson I think we can learn as we look in at this spiritual friendship is that spiritual friendship is tied to God's kingdom purpose. Spiritual friendship is explicitly tied to God's kingdom purposes. And this this story of David and Jonathan, this is about, we talked about there's a 15-year period between when David was anointed king and when he was appointed king. This relationship was a gift to help him remain encouraged and strengthened. And you're going to see all throughout the life of David, Jonathan was a companion, someone that came alongside. But I'm going to be very honest. The reason that relationships so often inside the church are optional is because they are not centered on God's kingdom purposes, right? This story of David and Jonathan is about advancing the purposes of God in the world, right? I mean, like, if we're just looking for some some kind of encouragement to maybe lift us up. That, that's not what this is about. This is about becoming who we are in God's purposes for God's glory. And that's where relationships themselves flourish. God's kingdom is not an optional add-on to our friendships. It's supposed to be at the center. So the reason that we gather here, the reason that we gather in gospel communities is because we want to be strengthened so that we can become the people that God has actually called us to be. God's kingdom is to be central in what we do. Um, And everyone needs people in their lives to remind them that God is unwaveringly committed to them, that his purpose and his plan for your life will not fail, right? I mean, just think about where you would be right now if you were trying to live out a version of castaway Christianity, right? Where you were just on your own. Where would you be? Listen, every, and I I say this with no joy, every story of spiritual failure that I am aware of where someone monumentally falls, right? It always happens because they are isolated and they are alone. That relationships became an optional extra for them, right? And listen, everything in our society is wired for you to live your own life. Like, every, even churches are set up and structured so it can just be you and Jesus. And what you need to understand is that you and Jesus will get you killed, Right? You actually need the covenant community to remind you of who you are and what God has called you to do. Right? We need one another. God's purposes cannot be fulfilled for our lives on our own. Now, God's primary way of meeting us and sustaining us is through the spiritual friendship of other people. And because it's Father's Day, I'll Take just a moment to address the dads. Um, you have this wonderful calling as fathers. Um, most of us are more aware of our failures than our successes, and that's why we need someone to remind us of the grace of God. But you also need to realize that in the kingdom purposes of God, being a father and being a husband, it's something... Um, that's always going to be opposed. 
It's never neutral, right? So you have a chance in your work life where you spend the majority of your life to display the glory of God. But to do that, like, there's going to be real opposition, and you're going to need a, a spiritual brotherhood to come alongside you, because if we don't have that, right, I mean, we're going to end up taking our work life home with us and either lashing out in anger or withdrawing, which is what I typically do, right, from engaging with our families. We need someone, and a really ideally a group of men, to come alongside us and say, listen, we understand what it is to try to live out our kingdom purposes, and we're going to do this together, and we're going to pray for one another, and we're going to encourage one another. Your role is of trying to be a spiritual best friend to your wife. Like, that's not going to happen naturally. That's going to be opposed. It's going to take a certain level um, of intentionality. And really, we have an opportunity to build a culture here where that's normal, right? We get to decide what's normal, right? And the kingdom says, like, hey, let's pursue God's purposes and let's pursue his intention, your role as a father will be opposed by the culture, right? Not just the secular culture. I'm talking about the church culture, right, that just wants to slap a Christian T-shirt on everything, right? This, this idea of following Jesus, um, it's radical um, even in the Bible Belt. So we want to be able to link arms with people that say, I'm going to walk beside you. And what I want you to understand is that Sorry. What I want you to understand is that um, everything in this culture is pulling us away from this reality. I came across this um, article from the Boston Globe about a year ago, and, and I just cannot let it go. It's called, The Biggest Threat Facing Middle-Aged Men Isn't Smoking or Obesity, It's Loneliness. And being lonely is more deadly than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I want you to see, if you are a father, how easy this happens and what it's going to take to overcome it. This is written in the Boston Globe. The author says, I turned 40 in May. I have a wife and two young boys. I moved to the suburbs a few years ago where I own a fairly ugly home with white vinyl siding and two aging station wagons with crushed goldfish crackers serving as floor mats. I've had that vehicle. I may have that now. When I step on a Lego in the middle of the night on my way to the bathroom, I try to tell myself that it's cute and I've turned into a sitcom dad. During the week, much of my waking life revolves around work or getting ready for work or driving to work or driving home from work or texting my wife and tell her I'm going to be late coming home from work. Much everything else revolves around my kids. I spend a lot of time asking them where their shoes are. They spend a lot of time asking me for some dada time. It's the world's cutest phrase, and it makes me feel guilty every time I hear it because they are asking in moments when I know I cannot give it to them and when I am distracted by an email or my phone or I'm dealing with the constant boring logistics of running a home. He says, I love dada time, and I'm pretty good about squeezing in an hour of me time each day for exercise, which usually means getting up before dawn to go to the gym or for a run. But when everything adds up, there is no real friend time left. Yes, I have friends at work and at the gym, but those are accidents of proximity. 
I rarely see those people anywhere outside those environments because when everything adds up, I have left almost no time for friends, right? The reason that I share that story with you is because this is how our culture is wired. It is wired for individuals, and it is wired for loneliness. And he used a phrase in there, accidents of proximity. If there is anywhere that that is not to be true, it is the church of Jesus Christ. All right, we are not to be accidents of proximity. See, the cool thing is that we, most of you have already at least structured your life where you're here a couple of times a month. Most of you are involved in some form of community. And so the, the, the invitation for God for us is to just take advantage of those God-given opportunities that we already have, right? We don't have to create something different, but it does take a level of intentionality and vulnerability in preaching the gospel to one another so that we can go deeper. So for some people, that means just taking the next step and getting involved, like actually attending a gospel community. If you would like to do that, we'd love to connect with you at the back. We'd love to tell you a little bit more um, about how the church is to be the home of the deepest possible relationships on the planet. The world is meant to look at how we relate to one another and say, this is how you're supposed to be human, right? We're supposed to, because we have received this love, be able to love one another, and for others of us, it means just not, sati- you know, just not being satisfied with chips and dips or um, going when you can make it, right? It means actually giving yourself and using your gifts and caring about other people. So David and Jonathan's friendship was a way that God sustained David. Chapters 19 and 20 are this picture of Saul trying to hunt down and murder David. And Jonathan was sustaining grace for him. I want to bring you in. There was a a plot that David and Jonathan came across where they were going to try to expose the intentions of Saul, and it involved an archer. So I want to read a little bit of it with you from chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap, and he fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. They kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. Because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. 
So this scene was a signal that David and Jonathan had come up with together that if he shot an arrow in a certain part of uh, the field, that that meant that Saul was going to be after him and that he needed to run away. So this was um, a moment of goodbye for David and Jonathan, which brings me to um, my last point. Spiritual friendship is affectionate. Spiritual friendship is affectionate. If we have this covenant commitment to one another, it is sustained by affection for one another. That includes the words that we speak. It includes the reality of physical touch. It says that David bowed to the ground. He wept. And David and Jonathan kissed. Right? So when you read that, what do you think immediately? Right? Most people want to suggest that there was some kind of sexual relationship going on between David and Jonathan. And I'm sad to say that that says a heck of a lot more about us than it does about them. Right? Because we live in a world where male affection has been put down to the point where any... Like, any form of affection is always sexualized. I remember my first trip to Nepal, um, and just the, the reality of the friendship of the men there. I think I have a picture, right? The, these are two policemen walking down the street. This is just a natural picture of their affection. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're going to adopt that kind of affection for one another, but what I am saying is that affection is necessary, right? I mean, there is a reason that they have and they invite people in to hold newborns. It's because we're made to connect with other people and we're made for touch, right? And, and our Western, you can take the picture down, but our Western society wants to so sexualize everything, right? And that's a, that's a form of brokenness inside of us, right? And if you're a dad here, right? I mean, most of us were taught that you're supposed to have a stiff, a stiff upper lip and you're not supposed to um, express emotions and, you know, men don't cry and all of these things. And all of those things couldn't be further from the picture of masculinity that the Bible gives. And what I want to encourage you with, if you are a dad here, you get to be the culture maker of your own home. And I want to talk to the men in the room. You get to be a culture maker inside this church of whether we are going to have affectionate relationships. Listen, when you embrace someone with a hug, right? It doesn't have to be about sex. It's, I want to pull you close, right? I want, I want to share what is closest with me with you. And that's a picture of healthy, biblical Christianity, right? So we can share affection, right? Brothers and sisters in appropriate ways can express the affection of God with one another and not be questioning whether someone is making a sexual move on them, right? All of this is about just becoming the people that God has called us to be, being affectionate with one another. All of these things, whether it's being affectionate or being tied to the covenant or being centered on the kingdom, only happens because Jesus Christ has done the impossible for us. John chapter 15 verse 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, 
than that someone lay down his life for his friends. The reason that we can have friendship with one another is because Jesus did the unimaginably difficult by laying down his life. His sacrifice enables us to embrace and to be affectionate and to live not just for our own personal ends, but to strengthen and encourage um, one another. So um, this is an invitation for us to look at his friendship with us. He calls us not servants, but friends. I want to pray that that would take hold of our hearts and that we would experience genuine spiritual friendship with one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his affection is unrestrained. Thank you that he came and did the unimaginably difficult by laying down his life for his friends. I pray that you would help us in these moments to have a friendship that reflects that sacrifice. I pray that you would empower us. I pray for those that have been wounded, that you would heal them. I pray for those that are afraid, that you would cast out fear. I pray for those that want to go deeper, that you would connect them with individuals that don't want to play a spiritual game, but people that want to know and follow you. I pray that you would build us into spiritual stones that represent you to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.